Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am really excited to welcome Beatrice Dixon to Leave Your Mark. How are you, Beatrice? Good. How are you? I'm good. For everyone listening, Beatrice is really a force leaving her mark on the world of natural health care with her revolutionary approach to feminine health. Beatrice is the founder and CEO of the plant-based feminine care brand, The Honeypot Company which sells products such as feminine washes, wipes, tampons, pads, and mommy-to-be products, and is sold everywhere nationwide, Target, Walmart, Urban Outfitters, you name it. But more impressive than your retailer list is your award-winning list of honors. You have been the recipient of the Sundial and Unilever's multi-million dollar New Voices Fund. You were also one of the first 40 women of color to raise $1 million in venture capital. You were named one of Entrepreneur's Top 100 Groundbreaking Women, Entrepreneurs of 2019. You received the CEW Indie Award in 2019, honoring beauty's independent companies. And you've been featured on the Today Show, the New York Times, BuzzFeed, the list goes on. So I always love when I read the bios of people because people are so accomplished. I couldn't possibly memorize all that. <laughs> How does it sound to you? Are you just like, whatever, I'm moving on, like next thing going? It's not the energy of whatever moving on, next thing going. It's more the energy of, I feel like this is all the work that I have agreed to when I took on the responsibility of leading this company, right? So in my mind, I don't really necessarily need the accolades. I am very eternally grateful for them, but that's not what gets me up in the morning. You know, what gets me up in the morning is the people that have decided to go on this ride with me, the humans with vaginas that use our products. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that gets me going. I so respect that. And I think you have a really interesting background because you're in a way an accidental entrepreneur. I mean, you didn't set out, you didn't grow up thinking, I'm going to own a company one day. Take us back a little bit about your background, where you're from. Give us all the details. I was born in Virginia, raised a little bit in the DMV area. I grew up in Phoenix, North Phoenix. I graduated from high school, decided not to go to college, and I got into pharmacy. 
And I did that for almost 10 years. And I got tired of doing that. So then I left that and I started a cleaning business. And then the cleaning business was a remarkable amount of work. And I realized that I wouldn't make money unless I was cleaning people's houses. And it was just really hard on my body. And I just, I didn't want to do that anymore either. So then I went and got a job at Whole Foods and I worked there for like three years, you know, but I learned a lot there. That's kind of when Honey Pot was born when I was working at Whole Foods But I've done everything. I've been an artist model. I've cleaned people's houses. I've had an organizing business. I've cooked for people. Uh, When I left Whole Foods, I went to be a food broker and I represented 100 brands. After I did that, I went to be an area sales manager at a kale chip company. But all the while, from Whole Foods on, I was still doing honeypot too. We need to dial it back for a second because... Your honeypot story of how this came to you. I mean, when I was researching your career, which has been incredible, I was like, wait, is this for real? Tell us about this dream you had. Because I have to tell you before you tell us this story real quick, this is not the same as starting a company. However, I had a dream when I was little, like fourth grade. And in my dream, I learned how to French braid. And then I got up in the middle of the night, took out my Barbie and actually did it. So I totally believe that dreams can tell you something, but tell everyone this remarkable story. Well, I had bacterial vaginosis for almost a year. What is that? Bacterial vaginosis deals with a pH imbalance within the vagina, right? And so typically what happens, it's a reoccurring thing. The reason why it reoccurs is because if your pH is off already and then you get your period, right? When you get your period, your pH rises because blood is alkaline, so it makes sense. Then when your period comes off, your pH is supposed to go back down. But if it doesn't get back to where it's supposed to get to, then an infection is going to come because it doesn't understand. It's like, wait, I'm making too much bad bacteria And there's normally like this really beautiful yin and yang of good and bad. And when your vagina's in its right acidic environment, it's making the hydrogen peroxide, it's making the lactic acid, it's making those, the acidophilus, it's making all of those good bacterias that actually help it to flow and protect it from infection. So bacterial vaginosis is really just a pH imbalance, but it can be hard to tackle because most people think to just go to the doctor and take medicine, but they Mm -hmm. don't realize that you have to pay attention to what you're doing on a daily basis. What's throwing your pH off on a daily basis? Because if it's already off, it's like if your bank account was at a zero balance and then your mortgage came through. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not good. It's not not good, good, right? And (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there. You know, and so you have to work really hard to get it back to zero or back to the 3.5 to 4.5 pH range. Um, And so I was dealing with that for almost a year. My grandmother, one morning, kind of right before I woke up, me and my grandmother were sitting down at a table, it was a white table, and she handed me a piece of paper and on the paper had a list of ingredients and she just, she just kept saying to me, you have to remember the ingredient. Like, don't look at me. Look at the paper, right? Because I'm going to go soon. So look at the paper, memorize it, memorize it. Keep. She just kept saying that. 
And then... But this was in a dream, though, right? This was in a dream because my grandmother is dead. My grandmother has been dead since my mother was like eight years old. You know, so this was in a dream. Incredible. And it was real because I woke up just like how you woke up and whoever was teaching you how to French braid, you remembered, right? Same exact thing. She was teaching me what I needed to do to heal myself. And when I woke up, I had a book by my bed. I woke up like saying the ingredients and I wrote it down. And then I like told my mommy about it because me and my mom lived together at the time. You know, she was like, all you can do is try, you know, like, what do you have to lose? And within the next couple of days, I bought all the stuff. And then because of my pharmacy experience, that taught me how to calculate how much of each thing to put in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I just pulled on that and I made it. And within four to five days, everything that I was dealing with went away. That's incredible. So, I mean, basically you have this epiphany through a dream, essentially. I'm sure you were amazed that it even worked. But then how do you go from that to thinking about like, Maybe this is a business. Immediately, I thought that it was a business. I mean, it worked for me. So I felt like if it could work for me, it could work for other people. Yeah. And I helped so many people when I worked at Whole Foods. I was helping people with their vagina issues all the time because I was dealing with my own. And within that eight months... You know, I was in a ton of forums and I was like just trying everything that I could possibly think of to like try to figure out what other people were doing to get Mm -hmm. rid of this problem. So is that for the purpose of like market research? No, it was the purpose of trying to get my vagina together. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Now, this is pre the dream. Got it. Got it. So pre the dream, I'm doing everything like I'm taking medicine I'm like shoving all kinds of things up. I mean, it's crazy because I just did not want to deal with this, right? But I had to deal with it and I was willing to do anything to get the relief that I needed. And so Uh when you come off of doing that for eight months and then something happens that's miraculous, it would be weird if you weren't like, oh, I'm going to do... Well, to me, it would be weird, right? Because Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, this is just how I'm built. But yeah, so immediately it was like, oh, I have to do this. And when you decided that, what's like the first few steps that you took to make it like real? I just made it and gave it away because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just working for me. So Mm -hmm. I did that for like a year and a half. And then a lot of those people were having the same results and A lot of those people had started to order through email because we didn't have a website or anything. And I would just like drive them there. It was crazy. I would just like drive them their orders. I didn't know anything about this type of thing other than what I knew selling stuff in the store. And then we got the opportunity to go to the Bronner Brothers hair show. And when we went there, we sold out like 600 bottles. And that told us that we had a business. And that's how everything went crazy. I have chills. So cool. So as far as venture capital and thinking about like all of that stuff is really daunting to so many people, right? So many people say, oh, don't take outside money. And then people say, well, you got to raise outside money. Like, how did you navigate that world? We didn't really have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. 
Yeah, our first raise was not in venture capital. It was a family and friends round. Mm-hmm. My brother uh, is an accountant, and so he had access to high net worth individuals. This is when we were getting into Target. We had to raise money because I used to make everything. Me and Antoinette used to make everything. So we had to like stop making it in our kitchen because there was just no way you can make enough product to go into 1,100 stores. Like the, it's impossible unless you have a manufacturing facility, right? And yeah. so we found a manufacturer, but when you go to a manufacturer, you can't order anything less than 50,000 units to get to the price you have to get to to make money so that you can make the margin that you have to make from Target or from any retailer, right? Yeah. So we had to raise, and then we had to rebrand. So we had, you know, you know, that's not cheap. That's a ridiculous amount of money as well. So we had to raise money. So our first raise was 725000 And every ounce of that went to buying product and branding. Like we didn't have anything left. And then we made the inventory that we had work for as long as we could. And then things were getting really, really tough and crazy, but we were out raising money again. Raising capital is daunting. It doesn't matter. You know, I I feel like I'm a person who's experienced at raising capital now, but even still, it's still daunting. It's still hard, you know? And then when we got the opportunity to meet Richard Lou Dennis, but we had been pitching everywhere else. It's just that none of those things turned out, you know? But when we met Richard mm-hmm, Lou mm-hmm. um, and pitched him, you know, it took a while, but that was our first run at venture capital and we raised $3 million. Unbelievable. How did you sort of gear yourself up mentally for pitching, like the first time when you pitched it? Like, how did you sort of prepare for something like that? We prepared an investor deck. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we kind of fine tuned it as we went because the investors that we were talking to would say that they would want to see this or I'd like to see that. And then that communicated and told you what you needed to do to fix your deck. Um, You just have to do it. When you're in a spot and nobody else can do it but you and you're a person like I am, I'm scared, but I can't let the scared stop me. So I just have to do it, you know, and you just have to be okay with not knowing what you're doing and then figuring that shit out as you go. Yeah. I mean, it's so incredibly uncomfortable, though. I'm sure you didn't sleep at all during that time. I didn't sleep very well. When we were in that first round, that was probably one of the hardest times in my life. Because I was working a job where I traveled three to four weeks out of the month and I traveled by car. We were also raising capital. So I would have to like fit my travel into going to pitch to investors and then like leave. It was crazy. I I was in a relationship then where it was a long distance relationship. So I was working on getting that person here to the state. I mean, it was it was the hardest time in my life. So this started really as a side hustle while you kept your full-time job. At what point were you like, I need to go all in? Because you have like a target order. So that, I mean, to me and those quantities, like you didn't quit your job even then. So what made you wait and how did you decide to actually go all in? Well, the thing that you have to understand is that when target orders, they don't pay you for their order right then. You're not getting your money until maybe 60 days, right? 
any mass market retailer is going to be on terms. At the Mm -hmm. time, maybe our terms were were less than 60 days, but any mass market retailer, it's up to you to figure out how you're going to stock their shelves. So you have to prepay for that product. Wow. That's your responsibility. That's not for them to take on, right? They're putting you on their shelf, which is real estate, right? Mm -hmm. I said that you could come on the shelf. So now you need to do your part to get your products on the shelf. So stressful. It is, but I mean, what are you going to do? No, you have to go with it. You have to go with it. And also it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't stop. I mean, it was just me. Who was going to pay my bills? Who was going to put food in my mouth and clothes on my back? I didn't have anybody to do that. So I couldn't stop working until Honeypot could pay me what my salary paid me or more. And so I stopped working when that became a possibility. I listened to one of your other podcasts that you did and you said something that I was like, oh, that is actually really smart and really great advice. And I will repeat it for you to expand upon it. You said that you should not quit your day job until your new company pays you enough money to pay you and someone else because you can't do it by yourself. Yes. That is brilliant. A lot of people do not know that. That's why I'm repeating it, even though you already said it somewhere else, because I actually think, you know, especially when you go from working at a company where there's other people on the team, there's other people to deflect to, to delegate to, to being on your own. Like I'm a consultant, I'm on my own. I don't have any help either. And it is a real big difference when you have employee number one. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And with what we do, there would have been no way for me to work a job and not have an employee and be running honeypot. Like it would have been virtually impossible, right? And I couldn't have been the person that did all the honeypot stuff because honeypot wouldn't have been able to pay me the salary that I would have needed to live. Because I'm not a person who's going to live on ramen noodles. Like I'm I'm not, that's not who I am. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Not that I was making a lot of money. I wasn't making a lot of money, but, you know, I think my salary at that time was like $65,000 a year, which was decent for where I was in my age and in my life, you know, so I had to make sure that Honeypot could pay me at least that. How long did it take to sort of make it up? That was in 2017. So between, we started in 2012. So none of us, except for one person, made a salary for five years. Wow. So those people are super loyalists. Yeah. They're family. Yeah, they're family. Exactly. And the other reason why it's not really the best to quit your day job while you're starting your business is because you're going to need to invest every ounce of the money that you make in your business back into your business so that your business can continue to grow. If you're in a desperate situation, right, you're going to do what desperate measures do. You're going to have to react and you're going to have to react financially. And you're probably not going to know how much to pay yourself. So you're probably going to be paying yourself more than you should actually be paying yourself. Right. Good advice. And then that's putting your business in jeopardy because that money that you're paying yourself, you could be investing back in and potentially be able to really pay yourself what you're supposed to pay yourself, you know, in a little bit of time. It it just takes time. 
So what you've essentially done besides create a brand and a company is give yourself a Harvard Business School degree by doing it on your own and figuring it out. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then when you started? I don't wish that I knew anything back when I started. I'm grateful for every lesson. I would not change one thing all the way down to what the most terrible shit could have been. Because everything that even with you, with everybody, every single thing that we have gone through in our entire life has prepared us for this moment, for right now. So I can't even give you an example of that because I don't think about shit like that. I just keep it moving, you know, and I wouldn't change anything. I love that. You seem like you probably have a really strong life mantra. What is it? Oh, man. Um <laughs> Probably my biggest life mantra is learn how to die so I can live. Learn how to die. Explain that to me. I'm living. I'm here. I'm breathing. And, you know, my mother taught me that just a couple years ago. Like, if you have breath in you, if you can use your arms and legs, if you don't really have any serious illnesses, If you can wake up every day and do exactly what you want to be doing, like I'm fortunate to do exactly what I want to be doing with every moment in my life, right? Like if I am not spending all of that time living, like I'm wasting my time, right? Because we're all going to (laughs) die. That's definite. (laughs) And that's not to be morbid, but that's just a reality. Mm -hmm. And so- I work really hard to be in my moments, to like really appreciate this moment that I'm talking to you right now. You know, I want to only be here right now. I don't want to be doing anything else right now. This is all I can do. So I appreciate that. Is that focus a skill that you have developed over the years or were you always very present in everything you did even, you know, earlier stages? No, I have not always been present. That's why I value the presence so much because I know what it's like to not be present. I've been unhappy. I've been neurotic. I've uh, looked in the mirror and not liked what I saw. So I have a remarkable appreciation for where I am at this point in my life because I know what the other side looks like. So I work hard to stay over here you know? What is a typical day running this company? What does your life look like on a daily basis? Gosh, Um, I'm probably doing like two to three or more of these a day. I am probably having conversations with my ops team. I'm talking to the sales team a lot. I kind of work closely with my sales team and my ops team you know, we're in category review season right now. So we're constantly meeting with our retailers right now. You know, we've got a lot of inventory constraints because the brand is doing very well everywhere. You know, so we're doing that. We are hiring a new leadership team. So we're working hard on that. You know, it's just, it's constant. It's, it's all kinds of stuff. When you're an entrepreneur, like, I mean, I imagine you don't really shut off. How many hours a day are you working on this? I work all day, but I fit my life into everything that I do. So it doesn't necessarily feel like work. 
how do you develop that balance? Like, how do you fit your private life in? If you're going back to back meetings all day and podcasting and interviews and it's a time suck. It's a big time suck. I'm taking an hour from you right now. Like, I know that. I just do my best, man. And, and, <laughs> and when I need to shut the shit down, I'm done, you know? And sometimes I'll go and work somewhere beautiful or, you know, when the world was more open mm-hmm. or I'll stop and go for a walk or I'll work out or I do yoga or, you know, I just do whatever it is that I need to do. If I'm like, I want to go somewhere and eat this certain thing, I'm going to go do that. Right. Because you're living. Yeah. And if I have a meeting, if I have something like this that's scheduled and my Mm -hmm. head isn't there, Mm -hmm. we don't have to reschedule that shit because I don't feel like it today. That doesn't Mm -hmm. happen often. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes it happens. And because I give so much, it's not lost on me that the way that I look at life is very different and people are very intrigued by that. So that intrigue, it's not like sucking energy out of me. And it is, right? Because people want to know what that is. And when people want to know, we're feeding energy off of each other, even though we're on a computer screen. So I give, I have to give a lot because I don't think, and I don't live the way that most people do. So I just keep doing it, man. And I'm going on holiday in a few days. Like an actual, like you're going to leave your house and you're going to go to another place? Yes. Where are you going? To an island that's open. Like on a plane? (laughs) Yeah. I've been traveling on planes. I'm not afraid of planes. Okay. That's what supplements and sleep and water and vegetables are for. Okay. I love it. Yeah. I'm not going to be a slave to what's going on in the world. I'm still going to move however I can move within the rules, within the society. But yeah, I've been getting on planes. All right. Well, I commend you and I'm excited for you that you're going on vacation. You're like the only person I know who's doing that. So well done you. Question for you as far as, because I do think you have a really great attitude and I think you have a great outlook. What do you do with people that have negative energy or are pushing back on your vision or are not letting you get to where you need to be? How do you tackle those types? Nobody can let me do shit. (laughs) If I want to do something, your view is not going to change that. I realize that that is your view. That is your opinion. That is how you see the world. If you want to do that, you could put all the omens on me that you decide to. If I don't believe in my mind that I believe those omens that you're trying to put on me, then it, it's not going to affect me. The only way that something's going to affect you, which another thing my mother taught me, is if you believe what somebody's saying to you and you defend it, that means you believe it. So, yeah. So you are, I would imagine, very careful about whose opinions you ask for. You want to make sure that they're trusted sources that have your best interest. Am I right? Yeah, I don't even surround myself with humans that would put that type of energy out. Mm-hmm. And if I am surrounding myself with a person who's communicating a certain type of energy, I'm so conscious and aware, I'm paying attention. And I'm not even going to say anything, but I'm just going to be like, okay, cool. So I can't be around you, right? So I'm just going to remove myself from the situation and just let that be what it is. And I might come around less 
You might not hear from me very often, but that's just because I do a lot of work to keep myself here. And my time and my energy and my light and my love that I have for myself means more to me than everything. I don't surround myself with humans who would want to bring me down in the first place. No, that you shouldn't. But what about just a practical example? Like you're pitching a retailer and they're just not interested. What do you think the tricks are to selling a brand? First of all, you need to understand your brand, right? You need to understand the market. You need to be willing to give it away for free in the beginning. Because in the beginning, one of the things that I would do if I was going into a store to pitch them, this is like smaller stores, not mass market, right? Mm -hmm. This may be a store that has 10 doors or something. And if I got any kind of resistance from the buyer, what I would say is, let me just give you the first three bottles for free. If it doesn't work, then you didn't lose any money, right? But if it does work, then you order. And with mass market, a good rebuttal is when you're getting some resistance from a buyer is to just let them know, look, just give me 50 stores, even if they've got thousands, right? Just give me 50 Let's see if I can handle that. Let's see how the customer responds. If the customer doesn't respond, when the next category review season comes, we take it off the shelf because I value your shelf. I value your space. And I don't want to waste any time for me and I don't want to waste any time for you. That's a rebuttal that I've been successful with, with mass market. And the buyer is taken back because most brands want as many doors as possible, right? Mm -hmm. But when you can take their guard down and say, hey, maybe not even 50, just give me 20, right? What's your smallest test that you have? Give me that or give me less. Or instead of taking these four products, just take these two because they're the best sellers anyway, you know? Smart and gracious. Smart and gracious. Thank you. So... Being one of the first 40 women of color to raise 1 million in venture capital, what advice would you give your Black sisters or any women of color who are trying to raise right now who are getting pushback? Like, how do they break through the way that you did? Um, First of all, everybody wants to give money to Black-owned businesses right now. So Mm -hmm. the thing that I would say is... Focus less on being a Black-owned business and focus more on being a fucking monster of a business. I love it. Focus more on, this is why you should work with me. Take my Black skin out of it, right? Because what's happening right now is really dope, but nobody is really doing us any favors. This should have just been the standard from the start. Our skin shouldn't have ever mattered. And honestly, it still shouldn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can build businesses just like anybody else can. So I would say if I was going to give advice to tell them to make sure that they understand what a data room is supposed to look like, right? Make sure that you understand what a pitch deck is supposed to look like. It should have your story. It should have the problem you're solving for. It should have how you're solving for it. It should have your North Star with your end in mind. If you're trying to raise venture capital money, you must have an exit, 
If you don't have an exit, if you don't want to sell your business, a venture capitalist is not who you need to talk to. You need to talk to angel investors who just may want a dividend or whatever. But you have to understand your audience and you have to know what your 10 steps ahead are. And you have to think remarkably big. The same amount of energy that it takes to raise $50,000, $100,000 is the same amount of energy it's going to take to raise a million or two. And the last thing that I would say is don't think that just because you have a business that you need to raise money. Raise money when you've got really, really great problems. When you've gotten into a retailer, so now you need it, right? Raise money when you need it and raise money once you've done more than half a million dollars or a million dollars in sales because the way that businesses are valued is probably not how you think that a business is going to be valued if you've never raised money before. If you've got a tech company, your multiple's probably going to be higher, but it's not going to be higher than what it was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And if you have a skincare company or a food brand, your market is probably going to be a three to an eight X, but that depends on how fast you're growing. If you don't have remarkable year over year growth, you're not going to get a higher multiple, which means that's how they're going to value your company. So if you've only made 300,000 in sales and you want to raise a million dollars, but it took you five years to get to that amount of number in sales, right? Your business might only be worth $1.2 million. So if you raise a million dollars, you just basically sold your business. So you want to make sure that you've got a reason and that you're in a car that is driving to high growth. That's why you raise venture capital and for nothing else, right? You got to be ready to sell that shit and exit because how else are they going to get their money back? Right. I mean, like gold advice, absolute gold advice beyond How do you motivate your team? Like, what kind of leader are you? I trust my team. I need them more than they need me because all the people that work here can go anywhere and get a job because that's how good they are. Um, Mm -hmm. So I start there. (laughs) And I'm not a micromanager, which doesn't always work for me, but I'm just not. (laughs) I don't work that way. I trust their judgment. I let them, not let them, but... I think it's important that they lead their teams, that they make the decisions and then they tell me what they want and then we go from there. And then if I disagree, then this is why. Um, And then we can come to a different place. But that doesn't happen often because everybody's so in tune with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I, I just really start from a place of humility with them. I think that's great advice. What is next for the honeypot? Like what is next on your honeypot bucket list? Honestly, sister, to just continue to grow, continue to grow, continue to work hard, continue to really be able to supply for our demand right now. That that's the only thing that matters to me right now. Like for the foreseeable future, that's all I can focus on. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's been tricky with the pandemic as far as just shifting resources to like different product categories, right? Everybody's supply chain is tough. Yeah. If you make a body wash or a wipe or a menstrual pad or anything, somewhere within what's gone on with COVID, somewhere your supply chain has been affected for the most part. They're probably making hand sanitizer. 
Exactly. So it's really just been navigating that and the things that we can't control around that. Yeah. You have a quote, you say money isn't freedom. Talk to me about that. No, money is a tool. Freedom is life. Freedom is love. Freedom is kindness. Freedom is humility. Freedom is growth. Freedom is the opposite of neurosis. Freedom is calm and is peaceful. Money is just how you buy shit, you know? And it marries well with freedom. Don't make me wrong. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be working so hard. But money is not freedom. Money is just a tool that our society made up, right? Because there's plenty of wealthy, ridiculously, absurdly wealthy people that do not sleep well at night. You're right. That is for sure. You once said, the reason why it's so important for Honeypot to do well is so the next Black girl that comes up with a great idea she can have a better opportunity, which I love because I also consider myself a global mentor through Leave Your Mark. How are you sort of giving back and making sure those girls have a better opportunity? You know what it is? It's understanding that you're capable of it. Like, I would like for us to not put our Black skin before, even though I said that, I needed to say that so that people can understand that we as Black people, as humans, as earthlings, are capable of anything we put our mind to. Mm -hmm. So it's important for women, for girls, for whoever's working, hustling, driving, doing all the stuff. It's important for us to know that, you know, I, I spoke to a girl on a podcast yesterday and she mentioned that she was a little Black girl from Memphis and she was proud of herself that she had a podcast. And I'm like, sister, So what that you're a little black girl from Memphis? If you want a podcast, you can have a podcast. Why does your black girl from Memphis have to be in there? Because the implication behind that is that you shouldn't have one. Is that you shouldn't have one. Mm -hmm. And the way I think, I should have whatever I put my mind to having. If I want it, right? Mm -hmm. As long as I'm willing and responsible for all that it's going to take to make it happen. That is the example that I'd like to leave with the culture, to grow with the culture, right? Uh, I had to learn that myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I've gotten to that place. Now, don't make me wrong. I love my Black skin. I love my culture. I love the music. I love the food. I love everything about it. I love my answer. I love all of it, right? I love everything about it. There's nothing like it. Because this is all I know. But I also know that I was conditioned in this world and that there is a lot of that in there. And that in this society, I had somebody tell me, I had an investor tell me one time that I shouldn't be able to do the shit that I've been able to do. And she meant it. Wow. I've had people say to me, how did you do this? This is so hard. How did you figure out how to do it? I hear what you're saying because it's counting you out before you've even done anything, right? And it's putting you into a category of like, she's not going to amount to much. And then you do it and everyone's like, oh my God, amazing. But I think your advice about focusing on the company, on the brand, on your work, the person you are, the human you are, the gratitude, 
the spirituality, the everything that you've said the past, you know, whatever, 50 minutes, it's so important to let people understand that they can focus on that versus what society is telling them they need to focus on. Exactly. Because that's why we get left behind. Because that's a part of the conditioning. That's Mm -hmm. what you have to understand, right? You weren't conditioned, sister, to have to say, I'm a white woman in business. You weren't conditioned to do that, right? You were conditioned to just be a fucking monster and do whatever it is that you want to do because the world told you that you could, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that you think that you're superior. Some people do, but that doesn't mean that that's how you operate. Right. Right. But the point is, is that that conditioning has put barriers in place, even within ourselves, because we think that it's a superpower that we're black and able to do all these things. Right. Mm -hmm. You're a superpower no matter who the fuck you are, as long as you know that you're a superpower. I love that. We would do more and get further on planet Earth if we all understood that every single thing that is organic to this planet is connected. Everything is. The plants, the trees, the dirt, the water, the shit. Every single thing. Me, you, right? As human beings, we've been conditioned to look at color. Mm -hmm. But we're actually very much the same. We both have two eyes. We have a nose. We have a mouth. We have arms. Mm -hmm. We have titties. We've got vaginas. We've got a butt. Right. We've got legs and kneecaps and we've got all the same. When a doctor goes to medical school, they learn every bone in every body, every piece that's inside your body. You learn when you go to medical school. Right. Which tells you what? That all of us are made up of the same shit. But Mm -hmm. we as humans have allowed ourselves to believe the conditioning around, oh, their skin is different. So they're not even a full human. Yeah. You know, so it's important to understand. Yeah. For people listening who are maybe in different schools of thought with this, and I also think from a marketing perspective right now, we're in a really interesting time because it's almost like, you know, there have been articles written about, well, feminism is out and being anti-racial is in and brands are hopping on it from like a marketing perspective, which I think is a detriment to exactly what you're saying. I completely agree. I was just in LaGuardia this morning and I noticed when I looked at the magazine stands, I saw a lot more black faces. While that is absolutely beautiful, right? Nobody is doing anybody a favor. It should have been like this in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's the problem is that we're making this seem like it's some big, bad, amazing thing. And it is. But these magazines aren't doing black people any favors. They should have been putting black people's faces on there anyway. These funds that are putting money out specifically around black people, it's dope that they're doing it. But it should have been done in the first place. We shouldn't have been sat to the side and looked at differently. And you understand what I'm saying? I I totally understand. But I guess what's the takeaway right now? Like, what would you advise companies? What would you advise? Because obviously, everyone wants to be supportive right now. And yes, it is way too long overdue. But I'm asking from like a, a real personal interest, because 
I'm a marketer, right? So I'm advising brands on how to tell their stories and how to cast their influencers and how to cast all that. So from your perspective as a CEO, founder, entrepreneur, how should brands be navigating this right now? Mean it. Don't just do the shit because it's in. Yep. Mean it. Look, at my company, I'm not beating my team on the head about diversity and inclusion and equity and all that stuff because that's already what we are. Yeah. Right? Mean it. If you really want to see people of color and if you really want to see humans through the eyes of your business, if you really Mm -hmm. want to do that, then you will do that. And if you really don't want to do that, then you shouldn't fucking do that. That's what I think. Don't sign up. I mean, I told a girl that was interviewing me who brought up that she was putting black people first and all this stuff. And I thought it was great. But it's like, were you always putting black people first? Well, no, you know, and the way she answered the question was kind of weird. And I'm like, look, I'm grateful that you want to talk to me, but I don't want anybody to talk to me who's just talking to me because they see my skin color. And it looks like an opportunity for you to be an opportunist on the times. I'm sorry. I'm good. I'm Gucci. Like, I'd rather just like wait for the shit to happen because you actually want it to happen. I don't want to be your fucking science project. Like, that's not that's not the vibe. No, you, you don't need to be a token anything. Yeah. But also at the same time, I think that that's where I am. Right. And I think at the same time, if your company is up and coming and you're moving and you're starting to get the take it, take everything. Take it, right? Take it, all of it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I thank you for sharing all of that because I think it's really important to talk about. And I think that, you know, the real judge, the real testament will be, you know, six months from now, a year from now, what's happening in the world. And guess what? It's going to be fine, whatever it is. Because if you're Black right now, You need to be out here taking all the shit because everybody is giving away all the shit right now. Take all of it, all of it. So that six months from now, a year from now, when the dust settles and everything goes back to normal, which it may not, I hope it doesn't. I hope that this is the new normal. But if it does, Mm -hmm. then you've set yourself up. You've sorted yourself out. Right. If you got the opportunity to raise some money and they're giving crazy valuations, take it. If you get the opportunity to get some crazy press and somebody says some weird shit to you, I still had the interview. You understand what I'm saying? Take it. Yeah. Because, you know, so don't make me wrong. I know that it's some bullshit, but I'm also going to be clever about it. And I'm also going to take any opportunity to get my business out into the world. No, I think you're smart. I think you're smart. And by the way, like you're still making your decisions based on the good of your brand and your company. And if that's how you're leading and that's how you're leading your team, you can't go wrong. Beatrice, you are full of amazing, amazing advice. How do you ultimately want to leave your mark? How do you want people to remember you? (laughs) That I'm grateful and that I'm here. I'm present. I'm alive. Yeah, that's great. It's great. I mean, I think that what you're doing is so wonderful. I think it's also a really, I would say an interesting category because it has this weird, like, I don't know, people don't want to talk about this category. It's been taboo and you're making it into something that is 
such like a coveted culty kind of brand while it's still being a necessity, right? Because we all have vaginas and we need to keep them healthy. So I mean, yeah, but it is an interesting category, don't you think? Not really, sister. I mean, none of us would be here without vaginas and penises. You're right. You're right. You understand what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying. And I am a mom. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like all of these things are actually remarkably ordinary, right? Yeast infections are ordinary. Bacterial vaginosis is ordinary. Stinky vaginas are ordinary, (laughs) right? People coming together to have sex are ordinary, These are not taboo subjects. If these things did not exist, humans would not exist. We need to stop making things that are absolutely normal, not normal. That is weird. You understand what I'm saying? I totally agree. Beatrice, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Leave Your Mark. Thank you. I'm grateful. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at alizalickxo or reach out on Twitter at alizalick. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.